video's back. Well, hey there again. As you might have noticed, things have changed a little bit again. I've decided to keep everything from last week's changes, the longer format, you know, having y'all's questions on the show, all of that, except I'm bringing video back. Um, I'm pivoting, as they say in the entrepreneurship world. Uh, in most other places in the world, they refer to it as correcting for a major mistake. So uh, I'm just gonna cut clean here and say that this is the fourth time I've tried to record this episode. Various things have failed along the way. Uh, I'm not gonna get into it. I just want you to know that I'm dedicated and uh, if this doesn't maybe sound as fresh as it could otherwise, I apologize, but I'm doing my best. So with that, let's get right into it. Earlier, I read an article on the website BigThink. I'll link to it in the description. And the article asks the question, is logic absolute or relative? This is an actual question that people are actually asking. I did a whole Google search and found other people asking that question. And that was a surprise because I had never even thought about that before. So what was interesting is the article was crafted as a response to the typical rebuttal to relativism. So when somebody proclaims that all truth is relative and that absolute truth and objective reality don't truly exist, the rebuttal is, are you absolutely sure? Because you have to posit some form of absolute reality. You have to posit an absolute truth in order to say with authority that absolute truth does not exist. It's a self-defeating statement. And so as evidence that this rebuttal has no genuine standing, she used the fact that our understanding of logic has evolved over time. She says that there are three distinct stages where the way we thought about logic, the way we applied logic, the ideas we use for logic changed, and therefore logic is relative. That's absurd because it's one thing to say that our understanding of logic has evolved over time. It's a whole nother thing to say that objective reality itself has changed over time, that absolute truth has changed over time. If absolute truth changes, it's not absolute, it's relative, in which case you'd be right. If you define the word absolute to mean relative, yes, it's relative. But that's absurd. If anything, it proves the opposite. The fact that we continue to strive and improve our ability to ascertain objective reality is evidence that objective reality actually exists, not that it doesn't. Because what evolved, what changed was our approach. The truth didn't change. But that's what was really interesting to me about the piece, actually, is it got me thinking as to why we have logic in the first place. Why do we need logic? The only situation in which we would need logic would be one in which you have a bunch of people who have subjective experiences, varying perspectives, and not all of them can be right. You need logic to reconcile conflicting information, decide what information is relevant, what information is not relevant, and then move towards an understanding of absolute truth. You would only need something like logic in a world where the truth existed and our ability to understand what that is was limited. And so in that sense, the, our use of logic and the existence of logic is in fact humbling because it reminds us of what we don't know. The second topic today is a question that was sent in by Cameron from Texas. And his question is, what is the difference between art and propaganda? And this is a really fantastic question. 
Uh, because as you continue to dig into the question, you realize that that distinction is not as obvious as it seems. Uh, so to start, let's just put down some definitions. Define art. Art, the expression or application of human creative skill and imagination, typically in a visual form such as painting or sculpture, producing works to be appreciated primarily for their beauty or emotional power. So producing works for beauty and emotional power. Okay. Define propaganda. Propaganda, information, especially of a biased or misleading nature, used to promote or publicize a particular political cause or point of view. So, misleading others with a political cause or point of view of philosophy. Obviously, there's a difference there, right? In that art is the portrayal of something that's intended to be beautiful, where you're taking, you know, oftentimes something like reality. You're painting boats in a bay and making that look beautiful and impressionistic so people can have this emotional experience looking at a painting of boats. Um, or in terms of literature, the way you say something, describe something, um, is particularly beautiful. That's something where you're pursuing art. Whereas with propaganda, you're, intention you're trying to mislead someone, get them to adopt your belief system, things like that. However, the reason that this distinction is not so clear is because it really just begs the question, then what is misleading? It's one thing, if you're being intentionally misleading, then that would absolutely qualify as propaganda. But I wouldn't be surprised if some of the creators of Nazi propaganda and communist propaganda really believed in what they were saying. They weren't being intentionally misleading. They were accidentally misleading because they were creating and onboarding people onto their belief system, but it was something they actually believed. It was a sincerely held belief. And so, but isn't that still propaganda because you're being misleading? And so it's not a subjective consideration. It's an objective consideration. And again, begs the question, what is true. You can't mislead someone into believing the truth. You can only mislead someone into believing a falsehood. And so even if it's sincere, but false, it's propaganda if you're causing someone to believe the wrong thing or you're promoting the wrong belief system. You know, it's one of those things. It just, it begs the question. And just like logic, it's humbling because it's one of those things that is less obvious. But I will give you one test that can indicate as to whether something is art or propaganda. And this comes from the Oscar Wilde in his foreword to the picture of Dorian Gray. It's really fantastic, but he concludes by saying that we'll forgive a man for making a useful thing as long as he doesn't admire it. But the only reason for making a useless thing is that one admires it intensely. And so what he's saying is that all art is useless. Now that's obviously probably him being a bit sensational, but, um, the valid test, though, I think for art is can it be appreciated apart from its substance? You know, I think that if something can be appreciated as well done, as a good portrayal, as something that creates an emotional response, then any change in belief or any sort of messaging or philosophy is actually incidental. So if those effects are incidental to the creation of a thing, then that can be considered art and not propaganda. But as always, I'd love to know what you guys think about this kind of thing in the comments. The last question comes once again from Kyle in Florida. And what he asked was, why are we afraid of death? And this actually connects thematically very well to some of the other topics we've been discussing so far um, for, once again, non-obvious reasons. Why are we afraid of death? I think, you know, just on the surface of it, it's because it's, it's a, the great unknown. It's a vast uncertainty. Every, almost everything that we know about this life, 
you know, the tangible things, the social dynamics, relationships, what have you, all of those things are things that we know. And that when we die, they cease to exist. And so the question is, is there something beyond that? Is there an afterlife, a heaven or a hell? Is there merely non-experience or is there an experience of non-existence? Is there a soul that lives apart from the body? All of these questions suddenly become insanely relevant. And we realize our limited ability to actually be able to answer those questions. Um, just like with logic, it's humbling because time runs out. So it makes us uncomfortable because we're unfamiliar. I think it's also a bit of a generalization because there are people out there who don't fear death in a non-weird sadistic way, but people who are comfortable with their life and with their death. And typically my observation is that those are the people who have answered the questions. You know, they know that their life has a purpose. They know that life has a purpose. They have beliefs about the afterlife. By answering those questions, they become comfortable with death because by using things like logic, you know, witnesses, experience, observation, and all these different things, they arrive to an explanation. If you fear death, then that means that you likely have unfinished business in terms of creating a coherent belief system, a, something that you believe in. You know what you believe, you know why you believe it, and it's fully coherent. You can attack it from any angle, and you know that it's true and it's accurate and that it holds up. And so if you're afraid of death, I would say look into things and, and truly understand them uh, in order to determine whether or not so an explanation is genuine or dismissible. Um, in terms of in, in pretty much every facet of life, where do we come from? What's right and wrong? Why do we exist? What happens after we die? If you have answers to those questions that are defensible, then you're definitely ahead of the game in terms of whether or not you're afraid of death. Obviously, that's a pretty large topic. We can always talk about death, but that's all I've got for this round. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe to Overthinker on the platform of your choice. You can send me your questions or topics using the form at overthinker.show, or you can email me using ben at overthinker.show. Thanks for listening. Until next Friday.